don't focus on fear. You can do this shit. Do what you feel. Feel free. Welcome back to Short Story Long. This week, I'm sitting down with a friend, also a comedian, actor, rapper, part-time dancer, um, Afion Crockett. Um, I'm sure that you've seen Afion. He had a huge presence on the original Wild and Out. He's been in a million movies. Um, he's just been all over the place. He's just one of those guys that you see and you know right away. And he's one of the few people that I really consider a friend. He really supports everything we do. He's, he's always worn young and reckless and he's always came to all of our events and really not for any ulterior reason or for money or for anything like that. He's always just been a very supportive, good guy. And I've tried to be the same back. And so he was in the office last week grabbing some new clothes and we decided it'd be a good idea to sit down and do a little podcast. So I think you will enjoy this one. It's, um, a great story coming from North Carolina, living in Germany and just making his way through this crazy industry and still with a long, a lot of stuff that he wants to do and a lot more to accomplish and a really promising sort of future. So this one was really good. Um, if you haven't, please leave me feedback, go to the iTunes store, go to the podcast app on your phone. Some people have been complaining, saying that iTunes deletes their comment or doesn't push it through or whatever. Just go try to do it again. Try to do it over and over until it works, please. It means a lot for the show. Helps the ratings. Helps everything. Um, I'm going to keep trying to do the listener calls episodes. So send all your questions to shortstorypod at gmail.com. Don't forget to put yourself or your number phone number at the bottom of the email so that we can get in touch with you and get you on the call in but i want to start trying to do those every single friday so um keep those questions coming and lastly i don't do ads on the show but i will go ahead and talk about my own stuff that is young and reckless we do a promo code ssl at youngandreckless.com you get 40 percent off all full priced items lots of new product on there constantly um we're not really doing seasons anymore. It's just kind of, here's new denim, here's new jackets, here's new shirts, here's new deals, here's new bundles, um, to just keep up with the constantly changing sort of market. So go over there, check out all the new product. I think that you will love it. I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of my team, and I'm happy to show it off. So promo code SSL, youngandreckless.com, 40% off. That's it, enough from me. Here we go, short story long, Afion Crockett. part is figuring out what you want to master. Focus on your product. Can you tell somebody that they suck? You gotta just go for this it. This is exactly what I want to do for a living. You can't even tell somebody that their breath stinks. You know what I mean? It could take your whole life and then you find your worth. The product is number one. If it's scared you, you should probably do good it. Good content is good content. That is the coolest shit I have ever seen in my life. Alright, here we are with a brand new episode of Short Story Long with not only um, an incredibly accomplished person, a very talented person, and someone that um, I consider a real-life friend. And it's very rare on this podcast that I sort of open with that, but you are one of the few people that we do work with and that we you know, see each other, run into each other all the time that I do consider a real friend, and that is my friend, Afion Crockett. What's up, bro? How are you? you good? good? Yeah, to see you, man. man. Thanks for coming and doing this. No doubt. It's funny you say that because... I'm going to just open it up. I'm going to just be a thousand, yeah, right? Yeah, go ahead, yeah. 
I only know you as as a friend from yeah. coming through, you know, with Burn and you know, and and supporting the brand. Yep. And when I left uh, Wild and Out, and yeah, when I when I stopped doing it, when it, when it ended, and then Nick brought it back years later. Yep. I wasn't watching anything, like especially like MTV and all that. So I didn't. I never watched Robin Big. Yep. Yep. So when I started wearing Reckless around like my family, they was like, "Oh, that's um." Rob's cousin, the uh-huh. skinny dude. I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like, he was like, "Yo, that's his." So I didn't even know yeah. who you were from that. Yeah, I just knew that's you good. from being a cool guy that I met here. Yeah, and every time we saw each other, we was like, it was just cool. Yeah. So and that's rare in our world. It's very rare. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel the same way, man. It was the same. We've always like just sort of had this like mutual respect, I guess, or friendship or whatever. But it's never been about money. It's never been like, yo, come There's through and we'll an do ask. this deal. Like, yeah. There's never been an ask between us. Yeah. Like, you never asked me to, to rock your shit. I just was like, you know, I knew some of your, your folks that worked here and they were like, yeah, yeah, I work for this company. Yeah. I've never asked you for shit, but you have, <laughs> we both have shit. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, I, I would rather that though. I'd rather have, and most of my circle yep. in this town yep. is that. Yeah, that's important. People that I know who are organic. You know, they check on me yep. just to check on me, not on some, hey, what, what part are what you going to? What can we do to? for each other? Yeah. No, I agree. Fuck you. It's hard to find that. It's very hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's start at the very beginning, Afion, because there's a lot of this stuff that I don't know, and that's why I like doing this podcast. And for I, sure. I purposely don't look up much. And likewise. Yeah. And, I, and I, I, I purposely don't look up too much because I want to actually ask all the questions. Yeah. So this is kind of my excuse to like sit and just be nosy. But um, where are you from? I'm from North Carolina by way of the military. So my dad, army guy, we grew up in Germany. Okay. My mother's Trinidadian, so I have an island thing too. So, you know, when I tell people I'm from North Carolina, they automatically assume, oh, you're from the country. It's like, Mm -hmm. nah, I'm from a military town in the country, which is not very military. I mean, it's not very country because the world is traveling and stationed in this town. So it's it's shaped a little different. Now, 20 miles right outside that town, It's very southern. Yep. You know, it's did you very... spend a lot of time like out in that part, or did you kind no, of stay in military? Land? I didn't even know. I stayed in military land the whole yep. time. I didn't even know it was considered the country until I moved to Germany at five, and I would tell people over there that I'm from North Carolina, and they would say, "Oh, you're from the country," and I was like, I, "I guess I don't. I don't know what is that. Yeah, it's it's not country to me, but." Yeah, I didn't spend a lot of time in the rural. Not until I got older, you know, moved back um, as a teenager. But So did you go North Carolina, Germany, back to North Carolina? Yeah, we did two trips in Germany. So North Carolina to Germany. Uh, from 5 to 10, I was in Germany. 10 to 12, North Carolina, and then 12 to 16, back to Germany. Was that, like, incredibly hard, or you just didn't really know anything different? I mean, I was 5 when I first went, so I didn't know. I just knew I was on a big-ass plane. And I went to a new place, and when I got there, people were speaking different languages, or a different language. Yeah. They spoke English, but when I heard the German kick in, as a five-year-old, you're like, what is this? So I had to, it was culture shock for Yeah. Sure. Like, I was, my whole childhood, entire, like, zero to 18 was in Akron, Ohio. So, like, there was no, and furthest vacation was Orlando, Florida. Oh, wow. Right? And Myrtle Beach. Yeah. So, Myrtle Beach was huge for uh, for Ohio, the Ohio types. But, um, <laughs> uh so I guess I didn't, I was kind of in this little bubble that I never had to get out of. You know what I mean? That's why when right. I moved to LA, like the first two years of LA was like, what the hell is it? You know what I mean? Like it just felt like, it felt crazy. Yeah, this is a different world from Akron because I've been to Akron. <laughs> yeah, and it is just, there's it's, nothing going, you know, it's small. It's every day. It's, 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 it's the everyday thing. It's going to work. It's 
yeah you know, very in, and you all everyone knows each other industrial no surprises yeah. um so what did you in germany did you was there like an english speaking school for you to go to yeah something? so the, here's how overseas living is for the for army families yeah or i don't know anything about families it. it's basically army bases or military bases because there's air force Air Force and Army predominantly. Okay. Uh, Navy and Marines are more aquatic, so they're going to be near the water. Yeah. So, yeah, there's Army bases, and those are like little small cities within these foreign countries. Uh-huh. And they're, they're government, they call them DOD schools, Department of Defense schools, okay. um, that are considered the American schools there. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you're kind of in your little bubble. Like, yep. you have to drive on base, show your ID. Got it. It's, it's secure, it's gated, and all this kind of stuff. So... Most of the bases, not all of them, but the military bases are like little cities. Yeah. Yeah. So it's its own little... It's like its own little Sherman Oaks. Yeah. <laughs> with its own little commissary, shopping center, you know, all that kind of stuff. School. And, and like if you go from North Carolina to Germany, is there a lot of kids that you knew that went with that group or no? No. Well, you guys are family. But no, like it's not like seven other families that you knew really well went to. Not at the same time. So but you can, you will meet other people from... That, you know, your town or other towns. So you literally grow up meeting people from everywhere that yeah. get stationed in this this one little hub. And, you know, it's a great way to meet people. You think that's where a lot of, like, your entertainment comedy stuff came from was the having to meet new people thing? That's what a lot of people say. And I just... It's weird because... And, and you can tell me if I'm wrong. I sense this from you. Yeah. But I'm going to f- formally ask it. No, go ahead. I am a very shy, introverted person because of these experiences. Yes. Um, of always being the new kid. Yep. I know your your experience is different from that point, but what shaped me into being introverted was I was I was always a new kid. Yeah. So having to walk into a, a room full of new people, it it kind of brings you into that turtle shell. Yep. And so entertainment eventually became my outlet. It was my mask. Got I'm gonna it. put this shit on. Got it. And break the ice so that y'all don't look at me like I'm some weird guy. Yeah. I can break dance, I can rap, I can do all these things. So it became my entry, like my my laminate yep. when I would go to a new school. Yeah. So even now, I have bouts of being introverted and shy. And yep. mo- people don't believe me because they see all the shit that I have done yep. and how animated and crazy my characters are. Yep. But if you're just sitting with me on a regular basis, I'm very, I'm very introverted. Yep. I'm extroverted because I have to be. Yeah, I'm the same way. I sense that about you. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's not, it's like, I guess for different, I don't really know. You want to know what I think it is for me is like, I was always kind of like kept to myself. I wouldn't say I was like crazy introverted growing up, but like just sort of kept to myself. But I think moving to LA made me like really pull it in, you know? And then like I, we started got, getting involved in TV and all that stuff. And so all these people are coming at you from all different angles and I wasn't really used to that. And so it's like, I'm very, I'm very extroverted around my friends or around people exactly. that I trust like you are, but I... Yeah, I don't really... I can see it on you, though. I like, don't walk in and light up a room. That's for damn sure. You no, know I mean? see... When I see you, I see solitude. Like, you keep your fortress. You yep. are your own fortress, and you let the people in that you want. 100%. Yeah, Which yeah. sometimes is a flaw. Like, I've been trying to work on, like, being better at not doing that lately. You know what I mean? Me too. Yeah. Because I'm an entertainer. So this is a braggadocious field. Yep. You have to always be talking about yourself. You and have it's to a networking... Hold. It's, I, I you know what I mean. Hate I, I fucking hate networking. I don't. I don't like it. Yeah, like I, I have a lot of trouble <laughs> going to like an event just to go to it. Like there has to be a purpose for me, which is a flaw. I mean, some of the people that make it the furthest, um, I wouldn't say a flaw, but maybe a shortcoming. Some of the people that make it the furthest are just they love to 
go to everything, talk about themselves, talk th- about what they're doing. I think we see it as a flaw because it's what we're around and it seems like the norm. Yeah. But at the end of the day, doing what you feel when you feel it yeah. is the right way to do it. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that's why I think flaw is the wrong word because it's only a flaw in Hollywood terms. But I feel you because I've said the same thing about me. Like I'm, I have to do better about self-promotion. Yeah. But I don't, then I have days where I'm like, fuck it. I don't want to, yeah. you know, do so some fake cool shit or, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm really not that cool. All the time. <laughs> no, me neither, man. <laughs> um, so, you know what I'm saying, Burn? No, Burn thinks he's so cool. Well, Burn walk, is cool as yeah, shit. Yeah, he walks in a room he's doing got, cartwheels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, um, so, so from five to 10, you were in Germany. Yeah. And what type of, hobbies and shit did you get into like what do you do on a military base like hobby wise or passion or like where did you start to i did a little bit of everything i mean i started with um like right dirt bikes back when you know bmx was a thing and um i even tried skateboarding then i got into martial arts i thought i was bruce lee like Mm -hmm. i I used to i was the black kid wearing the kung fu uniform Uh to school i was that kid so i was always a weird kid because i never I never drank and did any crazy shit. Yeah. My parents kind of sheltered me because I had an older brother who was a fuck up. Yeah. So they made me kind of stay in and babysit my little sisters while, and I had young parents, so they were out partying. Yeah. So, so is I it never... brother, older brother, you, and then younger sisters? Yeah. Two younger sisters? Two younger sisters. Got it. So the older brother went out and did all the fucked up shit. He did the fucked up shit. And my parents guys... also indulged because they were, again, they were young parents. Yeah. So they had a built in babysitter. Yeah. So for me, my hobbies came from a very introspective, cerebral place. And when I was able to get out the house, and yeah, I was like riding bikes and skateboarding. But for the most part, I was babysitting, watching my friends yeah. go have fun. So that's why you kind of don't see me turn up even when I see you, like in, in no. parties. I've never seen you like really. I'm the stand on the couch guy. Yeah. Or if it's this kind of a party, if there's like B-boys and shit, I'm going to be in a circle. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I love dancing, but... I'm just, I'm not a drinker. I'm not. I don't do drugs and smoke. So I'm not kind of. I'm not the guy that's going to stand around and pop bottles, just to be standing around to be on my phone yeah, at yeah, a yeah. Par- a party. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. So my hobbies back then were, you know, like I said, stuff All that, that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When I was able to get out the house. That's good. I mean, you think that that like those circumstances kind of like made you sort of mature quicker and not get into all that shit. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just insane to me how like. How much environment affects that? Like you don't think about it. Like when you, if you're thirty something, whatever, and you're a big drinker, it's just sort of like I don't know. He's a fucking drinker. Or he loves drugs or whatever. But like right. you just don't think about how much your your outside circumstances like can sway you one way or another. You know what I mean? Yeah, they shape um, you for sure. And what about like on bases? Is there? I'm just so fascinated fascinated by growing up in Army Land. But like, is there places to ride bikes and? skate parks and stuff like that or you have to just you sort to of be resourceful yeah. you have to create it like it was it was a lot of times we would get in trouble with the they call them the mps which is the military police got it and you know they would come around and tell us not to skate on the staircases or you know in the, by the shopping centers and or the church porch or yep. steeple whatever they would always kick us off the grounds or tell us we couldn't be it's like well where, where, where are we gonna go like yeah. what do you want us to do you want us to do sh- start shoplifting and do yeah. other stuff, but yeah. nah, it was uh, it, it must was... be difficult. It must be a rough. I mean, I don't know. It just but we had a like lot a... of fun though. I, like I'm as I'm thinking back, we had a, a ton of fun. But could you go wander we... around Germany if you wanted to? Yeah, you could, in theory. At the time, yeah. This is before the East was free. 
mm-hmm. right before the East was free. So yeah, Western Germany, you can. We used to take family vacations and got it, got do it. all kind of stuff. So yeah, I don't know why can. it just seems so, like almost sheltered for lack of a better word to me. Like it seems very like a lot of rules and a lot of like. Nah, nah, it it it, okay, it didn't feel like that. It, it felt. It felt free. It felt like, you know, the U.S., but it was just a foreign country. Again, in the free part. Yeah, yeah. You know, now it's all open. You know, the borders, the wall is down, the borders open. So now it's it's a different culture, even more so. But Got it. when I was there, it was, uh, we were in the good part. Got it. Got <laughs> so it. to speak. Um, so then at 10, you moved back to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And then how long, how long did you stay in North Carolina? Did you say you went back to Germany again? I went to Germany twice. So... Okay. So at 10, you're back in North Carolina, then went back to Germany. Then went back to Germany at 12, yeah. And then came back to Carolina at 16. Jesus. So this was a, yeah, this was a depressing time because I actually, I love Germany. I'm in my, the last end of my junior year in high school. Uh So I have all of my friends there, people that I, you know, just kind of came up with in middle school and thinking, you know, hopefully my dad can extend again and I can graduate over there with my friends, but... Ripped me back out, uprooted, had to go back to Carolina, which I wasn't a fan of my city. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. High crime, just not the, the it's best. Fayetteville, right? It's Fayetteville, North Carolina. So it's yeah. not the most productive place to be. And I didn't want to go back there. I love Germany. So my my junior year, senior year was kind of a blur. I just was like, I was feeling Germany. I was missing it. And it, it kind of, it put me in a shell, but that shell created who I am today. Yeah. Because all I did was watch a gang of TV and dance. Yeah. So I became an entertainer and like opening concerts in Fayetteville and, you know, the local heroes, whatever. But that was brewing externally while me watching a ton of TV created the characters and stuff that I do now. Yep. Where did the like dancing and stuff start? Was there like a group of friends or? uh... Me and my older brother. Got it. Yeah. And was it inspired by a certain thing on TV or you saw it from yep. Fayetteville uh, it was, life? It was directly affected by movies like Beach Street and Breaking, yeah. Wild Style. Um, yeah, we vi- music videos in the 80s taught us everything. Yeah, so you guys were just in the house, staying out of trouble and just dancing your asses off trying well, to just teach yourself. <laughs> not always it. staying out of trouble, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, when we were in the house or in the garage or on the front lawn and my parents were very supportive like they used to drive us to every talent show and, and all that stuff. So when we wanted to fuck their grass up yeah. by dancing, they would just sit on the porch and watch us and have their drinks and, you know, listen to the music. But yeah, that was what we were doing. And so they didn't push you too hard, like, towards any sort of formal, you got to go to college. Oh, yeah, they did. they did. They did. Yeah, that, that came later. And, and you know. That was at, closer to 18? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I made pretty good grades. I'm, I'm, I'm a nerdy guy mm-hmm. uh, originally. <laughs> so, having that journey, like I went to school on a Pell Grant, no, you know, free free tuition and all that. And so when I when I was about to graduate college, this is when me and my dad had that line of demarcation, manhood talk, uh-huh. where he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I know you do all that other shit, but you, you're about to get your degree. You're going into corporate America. What was your degree in? Business. Business. And how, did you decide on that just on some like, this will work, or was it? That was it. It was it. It was like, I, I love to dance. I love to entertain. But you didn't really see a future in that, or did you? I did. I, so that's why I said, all right, I'm not going to go to school and major in like theater. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I'm going to major in business because I just want to know that world because yep. the entertainment field is a business. Didn't have this conversation with dad in the beginning. Yep. You know what I mean? So he just thought I was taking business to be in corporate America. Got it. So went to college, did the business thing. I knew I wanted to go into entertainment business. Didn't know how the fuck I was going to do it. I just believed that I was going to do it. Yep. So yeah, when it came time to graduate college and he was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You want to go into stand-up comedy. Like, yeah. You ain't never said shit funny to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, dad, but you drove me to every talent show. Do you think that just leaves my system? Yeah. Since I was 10 years old, I've been on stage. Yeah. So what are you talking about? Like I've been on stage from 10 literally to 17, so it's a, it's a wide range of, of time. Yep. Actually before 10. And did he just think maybe like, ah, oh, you're just... This is being a kid, and he went to college. Now he's a business guy. He, yeah, like most people, most parents look at that shit as a hobby. Yeah, I look at hobby as your career. Mm-hmm. So if yeah, you get we, lucky. Yeah, I mean that's like that's the dream. If you right? do the work, if you if you're brave enough to follow the dream, yeah, your hobby is your career. Yeah, and what did you do? Like was school was college like a nightmare because you're doing this thing that is not your passion, or did you just kind of see it as like I just got to get through this? And do what I got to do. It's interesting because I'm learning business, and then I'll go on to do what I want to do. I I was in college for my dad. Got it. To be honest, but it wasn't a nightmare because I utilized it for my advantage. I was still performing all the time, and this was the last of the era where there were a lot of talent shows and people still had a talent. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. My four years of school, there were we had our own Luther Vandross at school. We had our own SWVs and Jades and all these different groups. Jodeci's, like we all, we were always putting on shows. Yeah. So it was just in me to just do this this thing, man. And um, you know, toward the end of it is when I discovered that I wanted to do comedy and migrate, you know, out of dance. But yeah, it was always about performing. And how did it switch to comedy? Watching Def Comedy Jam, and you know, I never related to myself as a comedian because all the comedians I ever knew or saw were like the guys that. Evening at the Improv, the Bud Friedmans, yeah. you know, wearing the the tweed jacket with the elbow patches. Mm-hmm. So I never it was it was a very collegiate thing to me. Yep. Or it was rock star Eddie Murphy. Yep. Who I was a huge fan of. Who was just but larger I never, than life. Larger than yeah. yeah. I, I never thought yeah I'm gonna do what he does. Yep. So yeah, for me, uh, when I saw Def Comedy Jam, Def Comedy Jam was the perfect mix of hip hop and comedy. Yep. Blending the two worlds. So that know, seemed attainable. It seemed very attainable, but even when it first came out, I didn't see it as I'm going to do that. I just saw it as, oh, I can relate to this. Yep. They're talking about me, and then there's dancers at the end of every show, and it's yep. Def Jam and Kid Capri is going is you know playing songs that I love and artists that I've opened up for in Fayetteville. So it was very relatable. Then when I saw a, a comedian by the name of Cool Bubba Ice, he went on stage and did all impressions. Uh-huh. Now, mind you, I've been watching TV all my life and doing voices around the house and around school. So that was the first time I said, okay, I can just go on stage and do voices. Yeah, I'm already a dancer, so I have stage presence. I know the stage well since age 10. Yep. That was the the spark. That's Put the crazy. two together. So did you had you tried anything before you had that talk with your dad, or did you have the talk with your dad first? I had tried some stuff like, yeah. Um, like you would honestly, I just think, number one, let me say, one of the scariest things in the world to me is stand-up comedy. <laughs> Especially like night one of stand-up comedy. Like it just, <laughs> I have so much respect for anyone who's been able to even like somewhat conquer that. In the beginning, 
it was terrifying. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. But I just knew because I had made other people laugh like at the lunchroom table. So I was just like, if I just go on stage, because I went to Charlotte. Charlotte in North Carolina was the biggest like yeah. city, and where all the comedians that had a name from like that comedy jam and. They all came to this one club, and there was it was one night, Tuesday night, considered the black night, and all the comedians I had watched on Def Jam for three years were there. So I, I, I got, I went to the club, and you know, one of my boys knew the host, and was like, "Yo, put my man on." And I said, "If I can just get him, I, I did a Bernie Mac impression. Uh -huh. So if I could just get him with this Bernie Mac, and they laugh, I got him." Did it work? It worked. Oh, I mean, the first night was amazing. If it didn't work, I probably wouldn't be here today. Yeah. <laughs> I bullshit you not. Because it can just rip the soul out of your body. Every t Let me tell you something, dude. Every In the beginning, when I started doing like the first three years, I could do 10 decent shows. The yeah. one bad show you have, you drive home liter yes. literally feeling suicidal. Yo. And why is that? I wonder why like in the human... It's even the same like how when people get real bent out of shape about like... Um, YouTube comments or, or Instagram yeah. comments. It's like, you can get a hundred that say like, yo, this is but so dope. But you get one that's like, it's just whack. And it's like, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like why? I don't know why we're programmed I think that it's way. human nature, yeah. Yeah. We're um, programmed for praise. Yeah, why is... We're programmed to be quitters. You and, know what I mean? We're yeah. programmed to be like, yo, 10% of these people don't like me. I'm out. 1%. Yeah. One comment. Why is that? Sticks with you. But it's even the way that people say, like, preach. I'm gonna go, I'm going a little bit down a weird path here, but like, people talk about um, being positive throughout the day and mm -hmm. uh, reassuring yourself of these positive things. And who cares if you get cut off in traffic and blah blah blah? Because the fact is, you can get cut off in traffic in the morning and it can ruin your entire day, like, it can cause a chain of events that ruins your entire day. Like, if you, why, if you hold on to it, yeah, why is it harder to like be positive than to be? I don't know, yeah. Uh, it, it's a weird. I wish I could figure that out because I, I, I out. honestly, I just think we're conditioned that way. Yeah, we're conditioned, and even more so, Nancy's. we're conditioned to be selfish. Yeah, like literally, right now, we're in the most selfish oh, yeah. era ever, and these phones are the, you know, they played right into our vanity. So I wonder if there's going to be a. Is it going to pull back at all, right? Because now there's all these articles about how unhealthy the phones are and how much time we're really spending on the phones and how yeah. it's causing anxiety and it's causing uh, mental health issues and all this different stuff. But I just, the problem is I don't see it ever, like I don't see people ever getting a hold of it and sort of reeling it back in. I see it just getting worse. Because it's looked at as a product of convenience and need. It's not a drug, so to, so to speak. Yeah. Even though it has some of the same effects as a drug, hundred percent it does. So I don't, th I don't think it's going to pull back as long as it's making money and it's legal and it's, you know, like are people just going to be walking around with fucking headsets on soon, you know, and Google they're, glasses and like you know what I mean? Like is the whole world just going to be fucking weird? <laughs> My prediction is they're going to be walking around with the phone chip in their head already. Yeah. You're not going to need a phone. You know what I mean? Your eyes going to be the camera. Like it's gonna be some crazy shit, uh, and you just yeah, you just blink to take a picture, and like you only yeah, meet, like you're like swiping on Tinder as you're walking down the street. Yeah, I think it's gonna be some high tech, crazy shit. God damn it. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, your dad did you? At what point did your dad start supporting you, or did that was that way later? No, so we had that conversation when he told me I wasn't funny, or he never he never heard me say <laughs> shit funny. Yeah, and then. Uh, 
this was when I, I felt like I, I heard the voice of God come and help me speak. Because my dad is, you know, army guy, very intimidating. And, and he's still my hero to this day. Like, I, I, I fucks with my dad. Yeah. He's my hero. Yeah. But he's very intimidating. Yep. So this was me becoming a man right before his eyes. He mm-hmm. said, why are you going to do that and not give yourself a plan B? Because he wanted me to, like, go into the Air Force and be an officer and have benefits and money and shit. I was like, I don't fucking, I'm not, that's not me. Yeah. And I looked at him, I said, why would I give myself a plan B and tell myself I'm not good enough for plan A? Why not just put all my energy into plan A and make that work? Yep. And that's when he he turned as red as his fucking sign because he's light-skinned like me. And he just <laughs> stormed out the room. And from that moment, I said, "I right, now I got to do this shit. Yeah. <laughs> now I got to prove to him that he didn't raise another fuck-up son. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? I was in the shadow of my goddamn Another. brother in the ro- in the worst way possible. That's funny. I never thought about that. Like it's you can be in the shadow of like a really successful older brother, but like to be in the shadow, you're just expected to be a piece of shit. Yeah, just the the, the expected to be an ain't shit son. That's funny. It was high. It was a high expectancy. Yeah. At least you had nowhere to go but up, right? A little bit of success, and it's like, look at him. He's a look hero. at him. Yeah. <laughs> he got a local commercial. He's, He's in the a newspaper. Superstar. That's he's, amazing. He's doing an escrow uh, commercial. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Um, what's next? Like, did you move? Did you move from North Carolina to L.A. or so, New York, or like how did? Okay, so here, here's the story. I yeah. went to so Def Comedy Jam, right? Yeah, I'm in college. I see Def Jam, and this is toward the end of Def Jam, uh, its first iteration in New York. Mm-hmm. But when I started comedy in uh charlotte that's when i got plugged into you know the who's who of you know what's what's going on in the comedy world yeah and so that same year that i started comedy that that same summer rather like months later um bob sumner the guy who created def or was the talent booker for deaf comedy jam he went around like to every club that's around the nation where there were hot comedians or that he would get within an earshot of yep or hear about so he went and recruited. So I, I give him a lot of credit for really going out there and getting the, finding the Bernie Macs, the Chris Tuckers, the yeah. Bill Bellamy's. Like he he did all of that. Cedric the Entertainers, um, guys who were already pre-established, but he brought them all to this one hub yeah. and introduced them to the world. So we heard he was coming to Charlotte to audition for Def Comedy Jam. Hell yeah, I'm going for it. So I've been doing it. comedy for a few months, but I'm gonna I'm gonna audition. That's like the big moment, right? That's the moment. Okay, okay, yeah, I like it. Okay. And again, I've only been doing comedy a few months, so I'm like, fuck, I'm, but I'm going for it. You know, in, in Charlotte, I'm funny. They love me when I'm on stage. Yeah. So I auditioned. First year, he was like, yeah, you're funny, but I don't think you're ready yet. Mm-hmm. And I was honored. I was like, yo, I'm just glad I got the opportunity to meet yeah. you and do it and whatever. And then my boy hit me the following year, which is months later. We're talking about like from an October to like March. Uh-huh. He hit me months later and he's like, yo. Bob is doing another audition in Tampa, Florida. Mm-hmm. Let's fly to Tampa and audition there so he doesn't think we're just hometown favorites. Yep. Great idea. Got there. It was like 50 motherfuckers waiting to audition in this hot-ass, humid Tampa club. Uh-huh. And we did a, a number draw system. I drew number seven. I was like, fuck yeah. I got the perfect slot. I don't care how what kind of set I have. I'm in number seven. I'm just going to make it work. Yep. And sure enough, I had I probably had the best set that night. Really? Um, and 
after that, Bob was like, yo, Atheon Crockett, he just, he started saying my name. You know, he's, you know, it's working when other comedians are hating, like, yeah, like, oh, fuck, it's, it's Atheon, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Atheon's that dude now, like, yeah. really? Yeah. So. Damn, only a few months later? A you think few you months. Just, what was the difference? Like, did you have a different confidence or a different set? Or like, what do you think was the difference of why it resonated so much more with him? For me, it, because of my content. I was so animated and I did really good voices. Like I was known for doing Fire Marshal Bill at the time. Yep. You know, Jim Carrey. I was a huge fan of Jim. The Bernie Mac, because Bernie Mac was so blazing hot yep. from the first two seasons of Def Comedy Jam, Chris Tucker. So I was doing voices of people who were really hot. Mm-hmm. And I did them well and I was animated. So every other comedian at the time was talking about sex and Growing up in the hood, and mm-hmm. it was just the same, the same rhetoric shit. back to back to back. So yep. I think for me, it helped me stand out that I was just a little different. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. And I was young as fuck. So he he liked the fact that here's this young kid who's just talented, you mm-hmm. know, and he's not talking about fucking and fucking stools. Same, yeah. same old shit. Same old shit, yeah. Um, And when you said you do number seven, you mean you were seventh to go up? Seventh to go up out of 50. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, it's something yeah. crazy. Yeah. So, you know, after, like, the 15th comedian, motherfuckers was tuned out. Like, they didn't give a fuck. Yep. So I was glad that I had that slot, and then I ended up getting on the show. So, literally, I started doing comedy one summer. The next summer, I auditioned, and then that fall, I'm on Def Comedy Jam. That's insane. Crazy. And you went from, like, that was one of your biggest inspirations of even starting comedy, right? Absolutely. Sitting in the the living room watching it. Yeah. And did, then I'm on it. Did you feel like you were like the golden child at that I, point? I felt like I was fucking floating. Yeah. <laughs> I was I mean, Russell gotta, Simmons before yeah, Russell, before no I met shit. him. <laughs> like you gotta feel like you're just like, you, you're the chosen one. You yeah. know what I mean? Like if I started something and because I was watching it on TV and a year later I was on that show, I'd be like, well, see you guys later. It was gratifying. I'm God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't take it to the, the arrogant point. but you were I never arrogant? Not, nah, it was more so, I felt like God telling me... You're in the right place. You're doing the right thing. Because before Def Jam, when I first graduated school, uh, college, I did, uh, I was an extra in Ace Ventura 2. Jim Carrey shot it in South Carolina, Texas Uh and South Carolina. So Uh I was on the South Carolina leg. I got picked to do a scene because they came to the extras and said, who who dances? Now, now knowing the film business, I know that they were just doing a pickup shot that I probably could have got paid a lot of money for. Yeah. But they were doing a pickup shot from something they didn't have. So mm-hmm. they needed some tribal dance to do uh, near a close-up of his face in a bush. He was hiding in a bush, mm-hmm. spying on the tribe. So anyway, I got to do this scene and talk to Jim Carrey. Now, mind you, I'm between him and Def Comedy Jam, in Living Color and Def Comedy Jam, these are the two biggest influences on my yeah. comedy life. Yeah. So first I meet this motherfucker do a scene with him. I thought I had made it. Yeah. Mind you, I was an extra. Um, then I get on Def Comedy Jam that October. It was, that year for me was a was quite a, Man. it was quite the journey. How old were you at that? That was low 20s? Yeah. Um, like 21 or 22? 20? 2021. Yeah. And did you, um, like, after the Def Comedy thing, did your dad change his opinion at all or no? It it was the beginning, okay. you know. It was definitely okay. I see. Maybe you know, he he's doing his thing. And then he came to a couple shows mm-hmm. of me doing stand up. Like Bernie Mac came to Fayetteville, 
and I opened up for him. And my dad was the the only one in my family that could make it that night. But yeah, it, it started to turn around. I, I I feel like he just wanted to know that it that I wasn't chasing a pipe dream. Yeah. Because my older brother, he also was the guy that was like, you know, he he wanted to be a rapper and used to talk all this shit. But he wasn't a a go getter. Yep. My brother was just a fucking talker. Yep. So my dad, I get, I can understand what what he was looking at. Of like, course. Thinking that it was just some pipe dream shit, and I was gonna be like him. But nah, I I had a plan, and you know. What do you think the difference is? Like, you think that's just you're born that way? One one person doesn't act one like you know like what would you is there a cure a cure for what for what your brother had compared to what you had could you how do you make someone do i i, I don't know here's 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 why i don't put a lot of weight on zodiac signs mm-hmm. me and my brother are three days apart mm-hmm. right how many years leos four years but three okay. days apart okay leos night and fucking day yeah yeah Night and day. Yeah. Like, I. Zodiac signs are horseshit, first of horseshit. all. Horseshit. Mean, you can translate anyone into what they all are. Exactly. Right? Because I guarantee you, a girl, which most likely would be who it would be, could read yours <laughs> to you and be like, oh my God, it's so you. And his girl could also read one to him and be like, oh my God, it's so you. Like, right? It's like you can translate. And that's anything. all I hear about Zodiac signs from are women. Yeah. Women in fucking And LA. they're always dead on. I've never, never, none of my boys have ever been like, yo, you're a Sag, huh? Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, rough day? It's because you're a Sag. You know what I mean? It's because you're a, it's a Sag. That June, you know what I'm saying? A Sag. Like, we don't Get really. Get the fuck out of yeah. here. Yeah. But um, what. uh? It's always girls trying to figure you out. 100%. Like, oh, because you're a Leo. That's why. That's, That's why you did that. Every time. That's why. Every time. Oh, I know your time. Oh. Get we the don't fuck get out along. Here. Yep. What? So, but. I don't know why I'm so, it's part of the reason why I do this, I think, but like, I just don't understand why some people have the do gene and some don't. And I've seen so many people that end up miserable because they don't have the do gene. And I don't know whether my goal is to spread the do gene and give it to people in the form of education in a book or whatever, or if it's not even possible and to figure out why, I don't know. I I think it's innate. I think you have to be born with it. And it's it's as simple as your your hand. Like there are just roles. Mm-hmm. Every finger has a different role, mm-hmm. and everyone can't be a thumb. Yeah, you know. But the thumb, although the shortest finger on your hand, if it goes away, if it's chopped off, you're gonna have a hard time doing a lot of shit. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. So, but th- but that doesn't mean that the pinky is irrelevant, yeah, or that the index is irrelevant. Yeah, it's just roles. There's certain people that are doers because we're meant to lead the pack. We're meant to be the shepherd, mm-hmm. and they're just some motherfuckers that are meant to be sheep. The reason being, they're the ones who purchase your products. Mm-hmm. They're the followers mm-hmm. that we need. They're mm-hmm. the they're the sheep that want to come be entertained and be laughed uh, and to, to laugh and feel better. Mm-hmm. I'm the shepherd that night. I'm on the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the guy that creates whatever, whether it's music, videos, um, yeah, for the sheep. Yeah, we need sheep. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, the sheep I are the un, other yeah, non. Everyone can't be Afion Crockett because then you'd be fucking shitty. It'd be a whole comedy club with 300 people on stage <laughs> and no one in the crowd. Well, well, what it will be is Instagram right now. Everyone yep. thinks they're a comedian. You're now. right. Everyone's everyone's a celebrity. Everyone's a celebrity and a comedian. Especially this guy. 
this fucking sorry our, the, our friend Bernie is literally pointing to himself in the room uh, um, there was a really funny I'm going to misquote this and I want to get it right for the end of future podcasts but a question that I saw uh, the other day that was if ignorance is bliss then why do we chase knowledge which is similar to that right yeah and I don't know. I don't really know the answer. I don't, I tried to come up with some witty answer of like, well, because knowledge is power, and you want. And it's like I don't. That's a that's a great uh, Freudian type. It's something I want to ask because at the end of this podcast, I have a question that I ask everyone, and I want to add that. But I just feel like it's going to jam a lot of people up. Yeah. Here's here's my thing, and that's a great that's a great question because I consider myself a person to be, as they say, woke. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of a lot of what people call conspiracies. To yep. me, they're they're not conspiracies. They're just they're just policies. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. Yep. It's just shit that just is. And some people can see it. Some people can't. Some people are doers. <laughs> some people aren't. Yep. But at the end of the day, I ask myself, what is this knowledge really gonna do for me? Yeah. Like the more I know, actually, the scarier shit gets. Yep. So it's like, all right, can I, case in point. We know Trump is a fucking asshole and an idiot. Yes, we right? do. Right? Mm-hmm. There's so there's evidence. Like we're talking about factual shit. Mm-hmm. He's in, he's been in breach of the presidential contract thirty times since he's gotten in office. Right? Yep. Yet nothing is really being done. There's no there's talks of impeachment on news channels, but nothing is really blatantly being done. Yeah. So what it, what what it says to me is, what does it really matter? What is it going to change? Yeah. Even in nations where there have been revolts and all, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, there was a temporary relief and there were there was some change, but at the end of the day we all die. Yeah. Who remembers the guy that overthrew like there's you'll get a name on a street and a building, but who's really going to cherish that legacy whether you were a sheep or a conqueror mm-hmm. or a president or a dictator or whatever? But here's the question. What's the lesson in that then? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's, it's, because again, you don't want to be dumb and ignorant, but it's like the less you know, here's the thing the less you know, you die faster. Yeah. Yeah. You'll eat a lot of bullshit. You'll take every medication that they yes. give you. You'll line up for every flu shot, bird flu, swine flu, and you'll, Probably die faster. Yeah. Being n- knowledgeable says, all right, I'm going to be vegan now. I'm going to eat a little healthier. I'm going to work out yeah. and extend my life a little bit. But I'm still, I still have all the shit that I know that I can't really change. Yeah. That's sort of the basis of that question, right? It's like, that's why that question is such a mind it's a great fuck, question. Because it's like, I don't really know. I mean, I do know that like what makes me happy personally is having... A purpose and trying to yeah. build things and trying to create and you know what I mean. Um, so maybe let me let me say this because I, I I would never want to promote do nothing. No, but to your point, having a purpose. So maybe that is the purpose. Yeah. Maybe it's not to be a permanent legacy building thing for fifty hundred years from now, but. If your purpose is to affect someone in a positive way, yeah. or some 10 people, or some 20, or some million, yeah. and you've affected their lives and their livelihood is better, then it's worth it to be knowledgeable yeah, in a it. way. And it makes your days on earth 
feel better and more it's a way more fulfilled it's way more you can be blissful and ignorant but it's it's a very sort of shallow existence i think to like leave a mark or feel like you positively affected um people because this is all i mean i'm gonna get we'll reel it back in in a second because we're gonna get real deep but like you know when you go into like everyone just being sort of a ball of energy right and everything's Mm -hmm. energy and energy never dies and whatever Mm -hmm. it's sort of like then what that means is at the end of the day if you're just a ball of energy you either added positive to the world Mm -hmm. because when you die people they live the way you lived they remember the way that you loved Mm -hmm. and took care of people whatever or you do nothing you add nothing to the world or you add negative to the world and it's sort of like as much positive as you can add to the world for some reason it feels like the world sort of gives that positive back yeah to a degree right absolutely i don't know um okay let's reel it all the way back in to was it after shortly after that stuff that you moved out of fayetteville or after deaf comedy jam how much longer did you after Def Comedy Jam, I toured opening up for different people. Like me and Chappelle actually did the Def Jam tour together, really? like a couple spot dates. That's crazy. With a bunch of other like Cedric the Entertainers and It's um, crazy that I've had a few comedians on here and like it's such a small circle. It's very small. Yeah, you know? And and you know what? It goes back to um some are meant to do and some aren't. Like there was a lot of comedians I came up with back in the day. That don't do it anymore or they got scared or comfortable and they're in their hometowns mm-hmm. doing like working a regular job or they're like on a radio station now and you know when you see them they're it's like they're trying to convince themselves like no 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 like i'm, I'm happy here yeah but you're really not you gave up yeah that goes back to like you what quit. we're talking about like that's the negative like you want to grow and build and like stay moving forward yeah you know what i mean yeah but yeah i got it yeah, and I, I just, my brain and my spirit capacity is of a, a fucking, I want to build monuments yeah. of, of an empire. Yeah. I don't want to build a fucking house of cards. Yep. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And you don't want to be the hometown hero, and you don't want to be the, like. no. I don't want to be the big fish in a little pond. No, you just don't, yeah, you don't ever want to be the guy who, like, because what, what else is a really common thing? There's almost, like, people that don't do, then there's doers, whatever, but this sort of middle ground where, like, you do from a safe distance. And it's like, I think it happens over and over and over again with like high school star athletes. Yeah. Right? Where like you get comfy in being the man in a small zone. Yeah. And you you just, you get scared to level up and you sort of try to live with the fulfillment of the 18-year-old star. They never let that shit go. That that gratification of, yeah, like you said, hometown hero. Yeah. And most of them don't understand that, you know, it's going to take work to sustain this. Mm-hmm. Most of them thought it was going to be an easy ride. Oh, yep. I'm a hometown hero. I'm going to get a contract to the NFL or the yep. NBA or whatever. No, it takes work. Yep, You got to work. So for me, my transition was, all right, I'm in Fayetteville. I want to get to TV and film. I was afraid to move to L.A. because I'd never been out west. Mm-hmm. So my I, idea of Los Angeles or California was earthquakes and gangs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Pretty accurate. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> Except like, for that we're was, long overdue for an earthquake. That was my whole. It's crazy that you can go to Germany at like from five to ten and be like, nah, I don't really trust that LA thing. Of it. Yeah. Think nothing of it. But I go to fucking the the idea of going to LA was just terrifying to me for yep. some reason. Yeah. Because again, 
we live in a society where the news channel pumps fear into your body yes. every day, yep. into your mind. And so, yeah, that, that kind of shapes. That's another thing that shapes the sheep. There's yeah. a few of us that look at that fear and say, all right, I'm going to venture outside this little fear box mm -hmm. and whatever happens, happens. But yeah, most people are yeah, governed by that safe. fear. Yeah. Um, but uh, So did me, you avoid LA or did, did you go? Is I that did. I, I avoided it for three years. Really? And where'd I you go toured, instead? I was just touring. Uh, so I was, basically, I was based in North Carolina. I thought I was going to move to Atlanta, but as soon as I went to Atlanta, I was like, nah, this shit ain't for me. Really? Yeah. It, I, I thought it was like a bigger city yep. than... Than Charlotte and but when I went there, it felt the same as Charlotte. It just was a little more arrogant because Atlanta, a lot of people at the time in Atlanta, thought they were Hollywood, mm -hmm. like we're Hollywood of the South. Mm -hmm. No, this this is Atlanta. <laughs> it's great <laughs> yeah. for what it is, yeah. but it ain't Hollywood or New York. It's yeah. far from that shit. Yep. So, I just was like, yeah, I don't want to feel like I'm in Charlotte because I'm trying to get away from Charlotte. So, um, so I toured for like three years. And finally, a lot of comedians that I worked with or opened up for was like, yo, you got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You, you either come to L.A. or you're going to die here. Like, you're going to be doing the same shit. Yep. And finally, I was watching a movie, man, um, Def Jam's How to Be a Player. So Def Jam is instrumental, obviously, in yeah, shaping huge. my yeah. whole shit. Yeah. So I'm just in the movie theater, man, watching a matinee of How to Be a Player. Bill Bellamy, I had met when I shot Def Comedy Jam. Pierre. Uh -huh. uh, who I had met on the road and when I was in Charlotte. He came through the comedy zone that I started at. Um, you remember the dude from Juice with Tupac, the fat kid? He yes. was in Lean On Me? Yes. S short story here, he was a rapper at one point or wanted to be a rapper. Really? Before so, Juice or kind of during? I want to say it was after Juice. Got it. Right after Juice. He wanted to be a rapper and so he came through Fayetteville and I went to one of his shows, and he saw me and my boys dancing. So we danced for him mm -hmm. while he was, you know, chasing this rap dream. Yep. So my point in bringing that up was I knew everyone on the screen, yet they were driving through Beverly Hills. Yep. And I was like, oh, yep. Beverly Hills is also in L.A. Yep. It ain't just earthquakes and gangs. Get your ass to Beverly Hills. Uh-huh. And that was it. From that, <laughs> from that day. That's funny how the smallest thing. It, it was that small trigger. So it took me about eight months to, like, save up the money and plan and figure out where I was going to stay. But yeah, eight months, eight to 10 months. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, because I had been touring for three years and driving like up and down the East Coast yep. from from Ohio, I was I did a show in Youngstown, bro. Really? I, dro Man, I drove home. like eight hours to Youngstown to do a show at Youngstown University at noon during lunch. Jesus Christ. In a cafeteria. And was Students it just you like, like driving around? Like yeah. You were, did you have a homie that went with you? Or? No. It was just me. Man. I mean, every now and then, like if you're doing a, a, a tour with somebody, like a small like spot date tour. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah, the the headliner would like ride with you. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, man, I drive to Youngstown and back just. Yeah, man. That's crazy. I drove up there for like, I forget how much money it was, but. uh, So that trained me to drive a lot. Yep. So I drove to uh, L.A. Yeah, I've done Finally. that a couple times. That drive is... That's good. I did it three times that year. Yeah. I did that it, year? I drove to L.A., uh -huh. set up shop at my... Um, I had a distant uncle out here in Bellflower. So I, I set up shop. Then I had some stand-up gigs still remaining. Mm -hmm. So I drove like Jesus through Oklahoma, Christ. all the way down to Savannah, West Virginia. I had like five or six stand-up shows where I had to go get the rest of that money and yep. you know save up for L.A. And then I drove all the way back, bro. 
That's so nuts. At the time, were you, was that just sort of what you do? Like, meaning like, you're not upset about it or you're not like, oh, this is it, crazy. It was just a thing. Yeah. It was just what I did. It's crazy how people adjust to, to like, you just adjust to your normal changes. Yeah. You know, like right now, if you had to do that, you'd be Get like, the fuck out of here. shit. Like, not bro, you won't believe what I have to do. You know what I mean? Like, like I fly like, first. You have to, yeah, exactly. Not driving any fucking way. Man, it's Mm-mm. insane. And you don't even care. It's not even like, your perspective is not like, oh, this is fucked up, but but I'll get there. It's sort of just like, oh, this At is what you do. It was part of the grind. Yeah. It was part of the journey. And it was beautiful driving across country. It is. Scary and beautiful at the same time, but I would never do that shit. No chance. If I had to, if, you did I, it. Can, if I can help it, I'd never do it. Yeah, you again. paid the dues. It's, yeah. that, it's over. Um, so did you end up coming to Beverly Hills? No, I, I came to Bellflower. Got it. <laughs> so, it was a totally different experience. Close, but, uh, <laughs> close, but not quite the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bellflower, you know, lovely city, but it's, you know, it's more of the working nine to five family, um, a, a huge Asian community there. Um, but it was cool. I mean, I was just excited to be yeah, in the near L.A. And, you know, my first two weeks here were the most exciting weeks ever. I went to the comedy store when they did the Tuesday nights. Guy Tory would do the uh, uh, Fat Tuesdays. Yep. And the first night I went, I literally, when I got here, like three days after I got here, Everybody in black comedy and entertainment was at the club this night. Uh-huh. From Snoop, Cedric again, Keenan Ivory Wayans, Sean Wayans. Even saw Gene Anthony Ray, who played Leroy in Fame back in the day. <laughs> so all these people were like on this at the comedy store on a Tuesday night. I was like, this is the greatest fucking place ever. Like, this is fucking L.A. This is L.A. Yeah. I think Ice Cube might have been. Like, it was ridiculous. Yep. So I was like, all right, I'm in the right place. Did you go up or you just were? No, no. That was back in the day when, you know. It was impossible. Impossible. Like It was heavy hitters going up. You know what I mean? So was that sort of that feeling of like, I'm here, I'm in the right place. I've done, like, I'm I'm really on the path now. I knew when I crossed the border. Yeah. When I drove across that state line, it was just like, I felt something. Mm Mm-hmm. It's crazy how that works. Yeah. Like, you just know when you're on the path, and you also know when you're off it, and it's a terrible feeling when you're off it. <laughs> it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's shitty. When you're like, I'm just <laughs> not, I don't know what it is, but I am not in the fucking vortex right now. I'm not in the zone. Yeah. Um, did you have to get a job, or did you were you able to sustain off of Look, there was <laughs> there were two moments when, because uh, my uncle turned out to not be the, the nicest guy, uh-huh. you know, because first he invited me, and was like, yeah, you can stay, uh, um rent free just you know i just enjoy the company man and and then he just turned into another guy and so he, he kind of like was pushing me out the house to to go get a job and yep. do all this stuff so literally and it's funny we're talking about this right here i just remembered i went and looked in the paper and got this like telemarketing job uh-huh. it was literally right here on the corner of san vicente and really Russia. yeah and the, like this red brick building over here mm-hmm but it was a chop shop. It was one of those fake uh, spots. Uh-huh. So what it was, they had a high turnover rate. They knew people were like, once they caught on, they were leaving. So I, I worked there a day and a half. Uh-huh. Never even got paid for it. Uh-huh. It was a four-hour job where you just call around and shovel phony school supplies to people. Uh-huh. So first day, I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I got a couple of leads and you guys, you know, you, you pass it on. It's like the movie boiler room. Yep. You, you get yep. leads and pass them on to a senior salesman or whatever. Yep. Second day I go in and I'm calling and I get hung up on like nine times. Mm-hmm. About an hour and 12 minutes in, I, I just, 
I take my headset off, take my headset off, set it on the thing, and I just walked away. I was like, hey, I got a meeting to whoever the supervisor. You just couldn't do it. I just, yep. I couldn't fucking do it. And I drove away. I remember driving right past this building on Wilshire, uh-huh. heading right back towards um, the 101, and I felt so free. Yeah. Broke as fuck. Yeah. But I felt, yeah, yeah, I'm in the, okay. Yep. Back in the path. I'm back on the path. Yeah. I'm just gonna have to deal with crazy uncle, but God got it. It's it's it, it'll be taken care of. Yep. Um, and then there was another time years later when I was broke again because I when, I got into dancing when I came to L.A. like mm-hmm. to so that I wouldn't have to wait tables. Mm-hmm. So I got into the dance world. I rediscovered dance. So mm-hmm. even though I was doing stand up and people knew me as that, I wasn't shy of the I wasn't shy of going through the process of starting over. Yep. I knew I was coming to a new city, big opportunity. I wasn't trying to rest on any laurels. Yeah, I had already shot Def Comedy Jam, but I wasn't coming to LA like, yeah, I'm the guy from. Yep. I said, fuck it. Whatever I got to do to make it in this town is what I'm going to do, besides doing porn and prostitution. <laughs> Anything um, but that. Yeah, besides that. Um, so I started dancing in like music videos, commercials, mm-hmm. uh, doing choreography, and you know, I got into this whole world of dance. Until I said, all right, now it's time for me to stop dancing so that I can focus on acting. Yeah. So there's those moments when I made those decisions when the test came. Mm-hmm. The money dries up and you're like, are you going to go back to dance or are you going to stay on this path? Yeah. So yeah, so years later when I was in that broke transitional period again, one night I drove to Kinko's. I said, all right, I'm a night owl. I stay up to like six in the morning. That's just Still? my norm. Still. Yeah. Um, I'll go to... 24-hour Kinko's in Burbank mm-hmm. and just apply for a job there because I'll just work overnight. Yeah. Do the graveyard shift. It makes sense. You know, I'll be able to copy resumes or whatever fuck else I need to do. Yeah. Makes sense. So I drove to Burbank in the middle of the night. <laughs> Humble, feeling like shit. Yeah. I was about to walk into this place and I pulled up and I felt like I just heard a voice say, do not go in that building. Really? Don't do it. And I sat there for a second and this was like, fuck, I, I need money though. And then I just reversed and drove off, drove home. And again, I felt free. And I think like maybe the next day or the next week, I got a few jobs that came in and it it, it re, you know, reinvigorated what the path I was on. Like, yeah. Don't yeah. go back to dancing and being a background guy. Yep. It's time for you to act, but it's it, it's gonna test your faith. Because it's so. funny how quick that shit can like just put you on the wrong path. You know what I mean? Man. It kind of break your spirit, and before you know it, you're a little too tired to go to that audition. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So what was the big, what was the big moment where the money was no longer an issue? It wasn't. You know, was there a big gig or something that you got, or a big breakthrough, or a, a you know what I mean? Was there I'll that moment, honest, where like, man? <laughs> to me, money is always an issue. Well, and, yeah. And I heard, <laughs> I heard Will Smith say this shit on Oprah. He said, I don't give a fuck how much I have. And, and this is this is some black people shit. <laughs> he said, I have a black man's poor poor mentality, which is we come from such a broken place yep. that I feel like I can wake up and lose oh, it all. Yeah, yeah. You know I what feel I mean? the same way. Yep. I, yeah. You're, because you're, that's, it's really a working man's thing. Yeah. You're from Akron. So I get it. I know that mentality. I've been there. And just the. The hardworking man's thought process is, I can't slow down. Yeah, and it's sort of this, like, you can never, like, there's, I don't know if my brain will ever be able to say, like, you're good, like, you're different now. 
know what I'm saying? It's like you're always that dude. Like you're always the and dude look, from Akron or the dude from Fayetteville. Yeah, of course we have our You know, we, yeah, we, we, we have enjoy our certain shit. Absolutely. Like you can take a vacation when you want. You can yes. do. But the grind is, like case in point, when I hear sad stories like legendary Robin Williams committing suicide, yep. it's like when is it ever enough? Yep. My perception is Robin Williams is, has it all. He's, yeah, he's one of my heroes. Yep. He's a comedian, a comedic legend, and done a shitload of movies, Jumanji, and you know, Goodwill Hunting. But he checked out. Yep. If that's not it, then what is? So if, yeah, yeah. So if the accumulation of more and more and more and more yep. is not it, then I got to stop focusing on that. Yeah. So to answer your question, things started to get better for me. Around wilding out, really, because mm-hmm. I had done commercials and I've done a couple guest spots and uh, or like guest starring roles on like cop shows where yep. I'm, you know, we all the black dudes get the same role. We're, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're chasing, we're, we're running from the cops and we're getting uh, interrogated yep. and we snitch on somebody. <laughs> so I had gotten a couple of those, but the problem with those jobs were it was before I had gotten incorporated. Yep. So as an individual, and I'm, I'm thinking I'm gonna walk out of there with a chunk of money, and the government taxed. <laughs> Oh yeah, the fuck out of it. As yep. if that's what I make all yep. the time, and then my agent manager they take the gross commission, ten yep. percent of the gross, so ten and tw- ten and ten to twenty. So I'm walking out of there with chump change. I yep. was like, oh fuck this. Yep. So when I got incorporated, um, that helped me like really start learning the business of managing my money, and you know, wilding out. I just developed all these different relationships from like the Wayans, Malcolm Lee, mm-hmm. um, and more movies and stuff started to come. Was Wild and Out a, a casting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it was kind of an irritating thing because, you know, I Nick saw me one time in Vegas and he was like, yo, you're built for this show. And I, you know, I'd always known Nick or whatever. He said, yeah, you're built for this. It's, it's, it's a show that we built around people like you, that hip hop Rap, comedy. Yeah, impressions. And I was, and yeah, all kind impressions. Of all the, yeah. All that shit. But yet, I still had to audition like three times. Got it. And then when I booked it, it was motherfuckers walking in that didn't audition. Yeah. And they weren't better than me. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. So it was always this weird undertone of favoritism. And yeah, that never certain, goes away. And I was just like, yo, what? This this is some bullshit, y'all. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, they, and, and, and the setup over there was real like, you know... What's the word I'm looking for? Like crabs in a bucket. Like they purposely put all the cast members in this little mentality of you don't know if you're gonna tape the next show the next night. Mm-hmm. So you gotta, you know what I mean? Like you gotta chase these crumbs type shit. Yeah, that's true. And it got to the point where I was just like, man, fuck all of y'all. Yeah, y'all either tell me right now that I'm on every season because I'm one of the I'm one of the main guys here. I'm, yeah. And I'm one of the funniest motherfuckers here. Yeah. So it just got irritating playing that cat and mouse game of... How many seasons were you on it? I was on season one through four, which four was actually (laughs) two seasons Mm -hmm. because we did 20 shows. Jesus. Before it was, you know how MTV does the orders of 10. Yep. Uh, We did three seasons of... Two seasons of 10, one season of eight, and then the fourth season was 20. Jesus. Yeah, for That's peanuts. Shit uh, yeah, you. yeah, of course. <laughs> mind you, of this. Of course. And the whole time feeling like you might wake up tomorrow with no job. Exactly. Yeah. That's a but again, I, 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 I gambled on myself and said, all right, I'm just going to step to these producers and say, look, guys, I, I understand. I don't mean to disrespect, 
but I'm not doing, I'm not playing this game. Either yeah. kick me off the show or yeah. just let me know that I'm doing. Because I'm, it takes enough for me to just be creative enough yeah. to come up with the shit to make the show good. Yeah. That's whenever I'm doing my part. So I was tired of playing those mind games. Man. Yeah. So then what was after that? What did you say after that? That's where you started to meet other people. And that then did pieces start to connect after that? Yeah, absolutely, man. Like it's it's been it's been a pretty decent ride uh since Wild and Out. I can't I can't lie. Like, of course, you know, we always, as you know, like there's always you want more. Yeah. You want this and that to happen. And but I, it's been a really dope ride because Wild and Out gave me a daily face mm-hmm. in front of a lot of people. Yep. So even when I would go to auditions now, producers would say, Man, they'll pull me aside. I love what you're doing Wild and Out. Yeah. So I I auditioned for the Wayans brothers, Sean and Marlon. They had a, a pilot for VH1 that they were gonna do about a fictitious rapper or, you know, thug rapper that ain't really a thug Uh and so i auditioned to be the lead and when i tell you this is one of the best auditions i ever had in my life and sean and marlon they're like gracious with the laughs like Mm -hmm. and i was in there i went in the character and blew this fucking audition out the water and was like freestyling and doing all (laughs) kind of shit yeah it it was the point where they were they were beating Marlon was crawling on the desk, the table that they were on. He was beating the table. Sean threw his water bottle at me like, nigga, stop. Just, yo, I'm hurt. They was sweating. Yeah. And I was just still in character. I was just going, going, going. Uh-huh. And uh, so that started the relationship I did with them. I booked the pilot um, to the point where I auditioned for the lead, and they were the the lead was supposed to be like a dramatic guy. But the way I read it was so funny. They're like, well, maybe we need to change this shit. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, but he would be perfect for the sidekick dude. So anyway, it was like an entourage type of show, but the pilot didn't go. And then Dance Flick came around. And again, I'm a dancer. Yep. So played right into being a comedic comedian who can dance. Yep. Uh, so I started working with the Wayneses, and they just kind of adopted me as the the as Atheon Wayne. So coming yeah. come full circle, because Keenan, all the way back to Robert Townsend and Hollywood Shuffle was mm-hmm. such an influence, here I am again, mm-hmm. you know, with the Def Jam thing. Like, here I am again with the biggest influence yeah. and the family and Marlon too because Marlon was the youngest one. Mm-hmm. And he was like the hip-hop Wayans to me. Yeah. So yeah. I, I was already emulating him when I was still in Fayetteville mm-hmm. just as a fan. That's so funny, to now man. be working with these guys and 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 to be and, going to watch the game at Russell Simmons' house, you know the king of Def Jam, who like it's just like holy shit. That's a whole nother story of yeah. how me and him reconnected after Def Jam years. How did that happen? Um, but I'm I, I'm gonna hit get I'm gonna yeah. get there. Yep. But oh, I want to say this: I learned how much of a genius Sean Wayans is. Mm-hmm. People always said that Sean Wayans is like oh he's the he's the unfunny Wayans <laughs> that's just getting a, a free ride, yeah. right? This motherfucker is Keenan Jr. Because mm-hmm. Keenan is like a guru. Mm-hmm. He's a very like cerebral, spiritually, comedically yeah. wise guy. Yep. Sean is is his counterpart. It's, it's him. It's him. Mm-hmm. Like the, the younger version of him. Damon, also very wise, but he's more of the character, outlandish, brilliant stand-up mind. Yep. That's Marlon. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The character, uh, what a the, crazy the more family. wow. Like the fact that that's so they're linear. A, yeah. So being around them, I really learned the genius that all of them have. There, there are no like 
shortcoming way. Yeah. yeah, there's no weak links in, yeah. in the chain. Sean is just not egotistical enough to where he needs to shine. Yep. He, he's he's good being Geppetto. Yeah, you know. Um, so anyway, long story short, short story long. Yeah, there you go. Uh, met the Wayans, worked with them for several projects, and then of course me and Marlon went on to do a haunted house, and and then in between that, I got a show on Fox. Mm-hmm. That was another big payday for me because that's that's really all that that became of it. Yeah, um, because it was it was a disaster. Uh, just but it was my first show, like producing on a network, writing, starring. So I learned a ton of shit. Yeah, I learned a ton of gangster shit, yep. and I learned a ton of business shit. Yeah, but I learned a ton of shit. <laughs> um, but even that, it took me to when that got canceled. I I went into doing more movies. So. It showcased me in a in a way that the people that were supposed to see it yeah, saw it. Yeah. And 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 it it afforded me a lot of other uh like film roles, like you know, the wedding ringer with Kevin Hart and just all these different yep, things yep, I did. Yep. But um so yeah, that was a journey. And then also I mentioned Malcolm Lee, who I also met right around the end of Wild and Out. I auditioned for a Toyota commercial. Uh-huh. Now, Malcolm Lee is Spike Lee's cousin, and he did the movie The Best Man and uh, Roll Bounce and all these other movies. Um, so he was doing this Toyota campaign, and I and I booked that, but it was the same kind of scenario. Like He was like, yo, I'm a fan of yours from Wild and Out. Uh-huh. You're mad funny. He said, "You know, I want you for this commercial. You just got to come prove it to Toyota. Oh, I shouldn't have said brand name. But, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, yep. we did the Toyota campaign, and we just were on set laughing our asses off the entire time. So yep. we built that camaraderie. Yep. And this voice I was doing with him, it was like we were imitating these these New York brothers on the block that we both know. Yeah. And so that ended up being a character that I put into a uh, a movie, a movie called Welcome Home Roscoe Jenkins mm-hmm. with uh Martin and uh Cedric yep. and Mike Epps and Monique and Michael Clark Duncan. It was James Earl Jones. Like it was a star-studded thing. Yeah. So the fact that I was in this movie was like, all right, I'm I'm doing all right. Yeah, character was small as shit, and it ended up getting cut out at the beginning, and they kept the piece at the end. I didn't care. I was doing a show with all uh, a movie with all my heroes. Yeah, that's huge. But yeah, Malcolm was really instrumental in just being a champion and like a big brother. Like he's a guy I can call today. Yeah, and be like, yo, I got this situation. You know, talk me through it. And and, and he's just he's like family at this point. And then right after that, he direct submitted me to the Weinstein brothers for the movie Soul Man with Bernie Mac and Sam Jackson. Yep. And that was like my first offer. That's when I feel like, oh, I made it. Yeah, that's like real movie star um, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It didn't happen after that again. But <laughs> well, Wedding Ringer was a, was straight to offer. But, yep. you know, it doesn't always happen. It's just, you know, when you're fortunate well, enough to get but when it, it does, it's great. like, yeah, that's like, right. Fuck yeah. yeah. You know, that was out. my offer, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it was Bernie Mac's last movie, and a, another full circle story. I was able to tell Bernie Mac, yo, like I'm, I'm here because of you. Like I did your impression, yeah, an impression of you when I first started on my first night of comedy, and I became known. Even on Def Comedy Jam, I did that same type of set. Yeah, I did Bernie Mac and Fire Marshal Bill, and you know, just being on set and having him stamp me and. Say no, you got it. He said, "I see a lot of Mac." He's like, "I see a lot of Mac in you. <laughs> you, you know, you, you funny little motherfucker. I swear, you motherfucker, you funny motherfucker." So yeah, man, it was it was just, just really <laughs> the amount of like full, to even get that. I'm trying to think if I've ever had like a moment like that. I don't think I have, but like, it's pretty insane to have 
someone be your hero and then be like, yeah, man, like you're it. You know, like that's nuts. Dog. That's a rare. It's that probably happens times. with athletes a lot. Probably happens with movie stars. But like, it's there's a there's not too many professions or or paths I don't think where you get that level of like. I've been very of, very fortunate. Yeah, that's crazy. Like a ton of my heroes, I've been able to cross paths with and. And work with even Martin Lawrence. Like Martin was a huge. I mean, he was the host of Def Jam the first two years, the yep. first two seasons. Yep. So, I mean, his sitcom characters, yeah, ridiculous. So he's another one of my heroes. Um, that just you know when we did Roscoe Jenkins, he he took a liking to me. He said, "Man, you you funny as shit." Mm-hmm. And we were doing the scene, the scene that got edited out, but we were doing the scene and we we're sitting to, on on his talk show, the characters talk show. And my character was just like, you know, rattling off, and Martin broke and started laughing. Oh, that had to feel and I was good. like, yes, <laughs> motherfucker, yes. I'm doing some shit out here in these, in these comedy streets. Yep. And it's funny, Martin's camp pulled me aside at the end of the, of the shoot, and they was like, yo, we thought you were going to freeze up. Because we've seen a lot of young comedians get around Martin. Yeah. And, you know, just, you know, they can't handle the bright lights type effect. Yep. And I said, man, I'm I'm from Fayetteville, North Carolina. I I go get it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm I had an Iverson mentality. Like, you my hero, but when when the camera's on and and Malcolm says action, I'm I gotta go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just gotta do me. Yep. You know, not, not to step on no toes. It's just like I I I, I admire you. I want to make you proud. Yeah. I want to make you you know break and laugh and shit. So yeah, yeah. That's another huge like difference. I just think in people. Like some people are just naturally sort of really intimidated by that sort of scenario, and some people see it as the time to like really turn on the gas, you know? Yeah. Man. You got to see yourself as you belong here. Yes. You know what I mean? Everywhere you are. Everywhere. I, I belong here. It's okay. Yeah, that's a huge lesson. I think also like the amount of like opportunities and stuff just from being a good dude and from good connections and it's funny how we started by talking about how we're not we hate networking but it's kind of like (laughs) but that's how we've yeah but it's also like you don't force it you know and that's like another thing about like the more introverted type of personality is like you may not go out and meet everybody but Mm -hmm. the people that you do meet really fuck with you and will support you and have your back but we're talking about two different things what we're talking about is just relationship genuine relationship yeah the networking that you and i hate is this fake but it's the fake version the fake version you know it's like oh that's my boy i met him in one oak like i'll sign him up for this you know what i mean but that a lot of opportunities come from that but i just don't think that you get the same it's sort of like a lot of it is like a comparison of you either get a lot of surface level connections yeah that may lead to something maybe not it's all luck or you get a handful that are real solid Exactly. You know those people have your back. You know you can call them for anything. You know, but if you most have... of those people I didn't meet at a club. Yeah, because like I said, I, I met the Wayneses at an audition. I met um, Malcolm at an audition. So yeah, it was in a work environment, and then it just organically yep. became. And they respect else. you. Not only are you a cool dude, but it's like they respect the work as opposed to being like I don't know. He's a familiar face, and like whatever, we were popping bottles together. So like, hit me up sometime. No, they respect the work, and specifically with those two projects of, of for Malcolm and the Wayans is I always bring something to the table. Mm-hmm. So with every character I do, I go above and beyond. Like I'll say, okay, like ironically, most of my characters have been music based. Mm-hmm. That's not accidental. So I'll create a song as the character yeah, and yeah. submit it to the producers. And they're like, oh shit. And you like record it and everything? Yeah. 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 And so 
one of my songs made it into Soul Man. Like, it was written in the script that he had to do some type of rap, but they didn't know what it was going to sound like. Yeah. So I did it before I even got yeah, yeah, to yeah. the city. You That's know what huge. I mean? I recorded it, made the beat, and it was like, oh, this is it. This is the fucking, this is the whole song. Oh, man. Yeah, so. It's a good lesson in like just doing the work. You know what I mean? Just do the work. Yeah. Um, what are you working on now and what's next? Right now, it's it's more of the same. Um, writing, developing, I really, my my focus right now, and I feel like I'm in another one of those transitional periods. Like, it's great being an actor, but I don't want to always be the actor for hire. I want to yeah. create and own. Yep. So I've just been in, de- in a development um, phase and writing, and um, I have some good producing partners. And, and yeah, we're just developing. We're in that phase now. But on the personal side, stand-up is another big thing that I got back into. Because I stopped doing stand-up. I don't think I, I touched on that. Recently? Have you been you been doing it recently? Yeah. In the last three years, I came back to it. I right. stopped doing it when I first moved out here because, for one, the stand-up I was doing earlier on before I moved to L.A., it was lower tier. Uh-huh. I was a feature. I was opening up for people, driving all the time. So it was That's a depressing lifestyle. Yeah. I didn't want to do that shit and be in these shitty clubs and taverns and you know, Youngstown lunchroom and shit. Yep. So I stopped doing it. I was like, I just want to focus on acting. I'm cool. So I, I fell out of love with stand-up for a minute. But then three years ago, I said, all right, I'm 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 leaving behind another business, mm-hmm. another entity. Mm-hmm. And it's something I love. Like when I get on stage and I'm able to just, like it's not terrifying for me. Yeah. For me, getting on stage is, all right, this is what I do. Let's yeah. just settle that fact. I do this. If I fall in a hole or get in a jam or there's a heckler, I know how to handle it. I've it's like boxing or martial arts. Like once you know you can take the punch, yeah. you don't give a fuck about the punches that are yeah. coming now. Once you know you can throw the kick and you've damaged a bag or a or broken wood, you're like, oh, I can throw this. My it's not gonna hurt my shins or my my feet. Yeah. You're conditioned now. It's about conditioning. Yeah. So I'm conditioned for stand-up now. You know. Yeah, I just <laughs> shit, man. It just seems to me like A, the the moment you just get like crickets in the crowd, I would just probably panic, have, start sweating, have a panic attack, and run run out of the place. But also, it it does seem like one of those things that like almost <laughs> like working out, where like it seems like if you were good at it and it was something that you enjoyed, like not doing it would almost leave a void. It seems like in your existence, like where I, I could see, like if it's something you enjoyed doing, and it is a confidence builder, and it is like a workout, and it is something that you know yeah. builds your whatever like you would want to just keep doing it even if it's just i feel like a lot of these people do it just to sort of keep their chops up you know they do but there are there's a good number of comedians too who are very like depressed and lonely like there's that side of it there's a shit ton there's a there's that side of it and and i i'm not that guy so i don't really like in la i don't really hang at the comedy club yeah i don't go up a lot i i go on the road where there's the real audience yep. who you know, everyone in LA thinks they're fucking famous. They're all an expert too. They're jaded. Mm-hmm. They're all an expert. Yep. So I don't really enjoy that that environment. Um, but you know, stand up. Yeah, it's just it's not terrifying to me. I, I I'm rebuilding the brand, and I'm gonna shoot a special soon. And really, um, so that's been my focus. And I'm I'm back to doing music, like real music, because people know me for doing parodies. Yeah. Um, which was a big reason why I got the Fox show. But coming from Wild and Out, where I couldn't, it was certain things I wanted to do, but I couldn't do it because it was a live show. Yep. So that's when I started getting to, into the internet and really 
producing my own shit. Yep. So now, full circle, people know me for parody music, and they're like, oh, you're you're actually good at doing it, yep. but they didn't know that I could really do it. Like, I could really rap, and yeah. I can sing a little bit, and I produce music and shit. So I'm going to do, I'm, I'm doing music, and it's, it's, a, it's a fun... That's dope. Fun thing, man. That's really dope. So, what's the future look like? Is there comedy specials, shows that you've written, produced, and starred in? All of it. Music. All of it. It's. I love it. I'm at a point right now, man, where anything goes. I, I feel free. Yep. I feel really free, and whatever I want to do, I'm not listening to people anymore. I'm not listening to the naysayers or people that that couldn't do it their way so they try to shape you mm-hmm. hey drum i think you should make your clothes like this get the mm-hmm. fuck out of my yeah, face yeah 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 i'm gonna do what i feel i'm yep. gonna make skinny guy clothes because i'm skinny yeah and apion's gonna right. benefit from it because he's skinny You're so right. i'm gonna make the slim cut <laughs> shit yep. if you gained weight go somewhere else yeah i'm gonna do the shit that i want to do yeah so for me that's where i am so i'm not worried about like people are like yo you're a comedian why are you doing rap well, first of all, Donald Glover is Childish Gambino, yep. one of the funniest motherfuckers I've ever seen. He started on the internet doing Derek comedy and, you know, writing for Tina Fey and 30 Rock, and he's a beast. Yep. But he's also an artist. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I'm, an, I, I'm, I'm comfortable saying I'm just an artist. Yep. Whatever I do, if you see me b-boying in a video or in front of your face, if you see me rhyming, freestyling, if you see me telling jokes, just receive it all. Mm-hmm. If you see me kick the fuck out of somebody in the receive face, receive that too. Receive it <laughs> in the face. The, the good thing Although is, I'm nonviolent. Too, the good thing is, it's more so than ever. I feel like it's there's the world accepts people doing that. You know what I'm saying? Like the yeah. world. Like I just feel like before it was much more like, oh, you're you're an actor, you're an actor, you're a rapper, you're a rapper. Now it's like your fans are gonna follow you, and if your fans like what you do, and they're just gonna they understand it. that there's multiple. You know, like like. Childish Gambino or Donald Glover, like his fans love him and think he's a genius. Period. Like they don't think, oh, this actor is trying to rap. Like they think like they this guy him. is the chosen one, right? Yeah. And they don't even know probably the extent of the shit he does, like writing and like all that stuff right. on, on shows. Yeah, a lot of people didn't know that he was a comedian. I was like, how the fuck? No, yeah. They thought he was just Childish Gambino. So if you add that to it, then you're Childish Gambino, then you're Donald Glover. Then you're writing and doing whatever ATL. I mean, that was all his shit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Atlanta, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, Atlanta. Um, my point is, it went from before where it seemed a lot more closed-minded to now it's like people can really subscribe to your brand yeah. and they know what you're saying and they can follow you and they can whatever. And so. people like Jamie Foxx was really instrumental in breaking it down, breaking yeah. that barrier down because he, I remember in the 80s, early 90s, he had dropped an R&B album. Mm-hmm. And it was called Peep This, mm-hmm. but it was still in that era where it was like, oh, he's a comedian. He's too funny. I'm, yeah. I'm laughing at him, but he's dope. But he's, and then he he gave up on it, not gave up, but you know, he just kind of fell back. But Kanye reintroduced him yeah. on that, you know, Marvin Gaye, Luther yeah, Vandross, slow, yeah. slow jam, and it became all oh, okay. So he. He's an actor, but he's a singer too, and yeah. he's actually doing dope music. Yep. So it was the it was the inkling. Is I feel like he was the nucleus of or the the catalyst for that um, breaking down that wall of you can do multiple things. Yeah, you just, it just okay. takes that one thing. It just has to be good. Even though Sammy Davis Jr. and them did the shit back in the day. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. Like everyone was everyone just, just wants to put rules on things. Yeah. They just want, like, if you're a successful actor they, and you try to do something, they just want to say no. They just want to say, like, no, 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 just, no, no. just ask. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. They just want to say, That's like. That's why we have comments on every 
every yeah, platform God now. Damn it. I hate comments. I wonder if that'll go away. Like, do we just stop letting people comment? We I would some, love for that to go away. So many people that have a voice that don't necessarily need one. Because the comments don't, aff- like, it doesn't help the content, does it? Does it help to read? No, I think that if you're just, if you're a social media platform, I think that it's the engagement. It's getting people to stay on and to connect. There's money in the And you the want, comments. like, to, you know, you want to comment on Bernie's thing and him to comment back. And now yeah. you go back on to see what Bernie yeah, said. Yeah, there's an engagement. That's why. It's, it's, They're not worried about us. That's why one of the articles, the comments. one of the articles I read was talking about how all the big Silicon Valley um, uh, founders and whatever they actually regulate their own children on how much they can spend on social media and phones <laughs> and apps. But they, whoa, so like they're whoa. regulating like little Timmy can only be on for two hours a day, but or not whatever it is, thirty minutes. But but then I'm going to go to work today and I'm going to figure out how to make people other everyone else stay on longer. Right, wow. so it's sort of this, like almost like you said, it's not a drug, but it's like the tobacco industry, or like the, you know, what I mean, where it's like, it's like the gun manufacturer making yeah. sure his family doesn't live near the hood that he's selling the guns to. Yeah, <laughs> it's so crazy. Wow. Um, how's your dad feel now? He's my biggest fan. Really? Oh my god! Like it's again early on, like a year after we had that conversation, he already saw the fruits of my determination. Yeah, my the good version of hard-headedness, of stubbornness, right? Yeah. So he saw the fruits of it then, but then now, like, the full circle moment for me was the movie Soul Man after Bernie Mac had passed away. We did the premiere at the Apollo in New York. Mm-hmm. Sam Jackson was there. Like, it was the whole big to do. John Legend was in the movie, too. Um, and so another full circle story i got on apollo as an, an amateur night contestant uh-huh. in 92 as a dancer uh-huh. so that was like the first big tv you know local heroes from it's fayetteville huge. me and my dance group yeah went on and we did really well like we was rocking to house music uh the song called hot music which is a new york city underground house jam right mm-hmm. so as a dancer in fayetteville i had already broken the ground and gotten to the apollo right yep. so now full circle going back to the Apollo for a film premiere that I'm one of the stars of with uh-huh. Bernie Mac and Sam Jackson was a huge, huge, huge thing. And yeah. my family, this was the first time they were able to come to a premiere with me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I had a bunch of tickets and I was like, oh, let me invite my family up, yeah. you know? And so, you know, everyone's suited and booted and we rented limos and all that stuff. And and it was just a great moment that my dad was able to hang out with Sam Jackson. Yeah. and He got starstruck and you know what I mean? Yeah. So. That was to me the moment where I was like, I I, I did good. I was able to share this with my family. And, yep. Um. So yeah, he's my he's my biggest fan now. Man. Like all his, the guys at the barbershop. Like he'll call me from the barbershop. Hey man, so and so knows you. And I told him, yeah, that's my son. That's and like so he just good. loves to say that. Like that's my son. That's my son. That has to be such a good feeling. Like to have a kid and then sort of be like, no, just essentially what you're saying is play it safe. Like just choose this road that at least I know you can succeed in, right? Like at least if I oversee you and you go to college or you join the military, or whatever, at least I can be sure that you'll do okay. Exactly. And for your son to be like, no, I'm gonna <laughs> go do my own thing, and you're like, shit, like lost <laughs> another one, right? Yeah. And then for it to be for you to end up being you, yeah, it has to, and people in the barbershop to recognize you, and that has to be like, damn, man, like you know, my son did it. Yeah, you know? he, he definitely gets a kick out of it, and he's been to like several of my stand-up shows now. Yep. And at the end, there's ton, always always a meet and greet that I do, and people just taking pictures, and 
or when we go out to eat when I go back home and people are like, oh my God, I love your work. And, you know, so it's just, it's funny to, to look at my parents' face to, yeah. to marvel at this thing yeah. that's called celebrity. I don't call it that, but yeah, it's, you know, people admire it's what I do. It's a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, last thing. This is why I always end it on is if you could, you know, everything that you've been through, everything you've done, everything you've seen, all the other successful people you've seen, you've, I mean, you've seen it all. Um, if you could go back to little Atheon in, we'll say in the living room in Fayetteville, sort of stuck in the house, like first trying to figure out how to dance, like, but you kind of have the bright eyes and you know what I mean? Like, um, and you could just give yourself that one little gem to like, sort of maybe make life easier, get you a, a little bit more on the right path. What would you say now? Don't be afraid. Yeah. Fear is, Fear is like the paralyzing thing, man, mentally, physically, because I was bullied as a kid, too. Mm-hmm. That was the other introverted thing as I was you know, a new student in different schools. I'm the guy that was picked on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was skinny, and, and my dad never really taught us how to fight because my mom thought it was going to be, if, if he didn't teach us how to fight, then we would fighting wouldn't find us. Yeah. We would stay out of it. Yeah. But she didn't know. Like, that shit's going to find you. Yeah, no you matter know, what. As a young boy, it's going to find you. Yeah. And so being confronted with people, literally not knowing that there's a thing I can do with these hands <laughs> and, and feet, you don't know what to do. So yeah. someone comes up and pushes you down on the ground or punches you or, do you know, you don't know what to do. Yeah. So it develops a thing where you don't feel like you can take care of yourself. Yeah. And so that fear and then, and that kind of shaped itself into me going to really get so even though I'm a doer I always feel like there's another 30% that I could do mm-hmm. because I'm afraid I'm afraid of the the maybe the cyber bullying or maybe the opinion bullying yeah, or maybe course. this or that so I would go back and tell little ape just no just don't don't focus on fear yeah you can do this shit do what you feel yeah. feel free that's huge um okay give any uh tell people where to follow you what to look out for any of that at Atheon Crockett on Twitter and Instagram. I'm always on Instagram more so than Twitter, but uh, at Atheon Crockett, A-F-F-I-O-N-C-R-O-C-K-E-T-T. On Facebook, I'm Atheon Crockett, um, the, the main one that pulls up when because it's a couple fake ones, but not too many. We've, we've shut down most of them, but I'm the one that has like 700,000 something likes. Um, new Music. Under my moniker Oscar Mill, like which that. is short for Oscar Award-winning millionaire. Like that, but I just condensed it. Is there stuff out? Uh, me and my boy, like I've I've done music along the way, like, even since Wild and Out. I mm-hmm. did like mixtapes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. under Atheon Crockett. Yeah, but I have songs with like Talib and um, that's crazy. Uh, Dilla, uh, rest in peace. Uh, yeah. Dilla's brother over Dilla Beats on the Yancey Boys album. So I have like mixtape shit out and collaborations and stuff. But now it's like it's and like I said, I've done the parody stuff. But now me and my boy just dropped a uh, a single, like a freestyle type single called Bricks. Yep. And it's on my SoundCloud under Oscar Mill O S K A M I L L. Um, I just started my SoundCloud. Just started my Oscar Mill page. So that's my childish Gambino shit. I like, like that. So follow Oscar Mill also at Oscar Mill. Um. But yeah, man, it's just uh, music, and then like I said, developing shows and stand-up special. Um, I've written some movies that 
are, are you know in the in I'm in I'm looking pipeline. for financing for, but yep. I'm I'm pretty much at the gate. Yep. But yeah, just more more shit, just more entertainment, man. Um, this is what I do, so yeah. I don't I can't go work in a factory. <laughs> yep, no chance. I love but, it, man. Thank you for doing this, and thank man, you thanks for, for having me, great, bro. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, I feel like I really got to know you a little more. I know, same here. Yeah, I asked all the questions. Yeah, (laughs) my man, thank you, thank you. And there it was, Afion Crockett. That was good, good story. I'm glad we got to do that. That's another one of the people. There's been a few of them on this show, but that I've known for a while, I've talked to for a while. But you just don't usually sit and ask someone their story from beginning to end. So. It's nice to have this excuse to do that and to tell those stories and to learn those stories. And you really feel like you bond with these people that I've seen often for years. And um, hopefully that's coming across in the podcast. And you guys are feeling like you're getting to know someone that maybe you've seen a familiar face. Maybe you've seen them in movies and whatever. But now you get to know a little bit more about who they are. That's the goal. So make sure you go leave me some feedback. Let me know how I can do that better. Um, let me know who you'd like to hear. Let me know whose story you'd like to hear. Let me know what your favorite episode is. Let me know anything. iTunes store, podcast app on your phone, feedback, feedback, feedback. Send your listener call-in questions to shortstorypod at gmail.com. Don't forget to put your phone number at the bottom. We will reach out to you if we like the question and we'll give you a call and you'll be featured on one of the Friday episodes. And lastly, promo code SSL at youngandreckless.com gets you 40% off all full price Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for telling your friends. Thank you for posting about it. Thank you for tagging me in your Instagram. I've been seeing more and more um, posts in people's stories that they're listening to the podcast. They're tagging me in their things. That stuff goes such a long way. Um, there's no big marketing machine behind this thing. It's really me and my social media and reaching out to people and trying to make it happen right now. So Every little post, every little telling your friend, every little everything really helps this thing spread and grow and get bigger, which we're doing every single week. We just passed 2 million downloads. We're a year in, and we're going to keep on pushing. And also, according to the news from the latest Apple presentation, there's a lot of changes coming to podcast world in the Apple Store. And they're going to let me track listeners a little bit better, track what people are doing on the podcast, when they're coming, when they're leaving when they're giving up, when they're skipping forward. So it seems like the whole podcast thing is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I am going to keep on pushing right in front of it. Thank you guys for listening. I'll be back next week.